E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Yande Amore joins us today to talk about rock and roll, Italian wine, and the life of a small importer. Somebody I always enjoyed listening to. Let's hear what he had to say today. So I'm here today with Yande Amore, who runs De Amore Selections, a Italian wine importer in uh, the New York area. Hi, Yan. Hi, Levy. Nice to see you. Likewise. So you moved to New York uh, to work in a rock and roll band? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story. I'm a full-fledged immigrant. I left Italy maybe 23, 24 years ago, and New York was my second port of arrival. I first uh, arrived in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah, Los Angeles. It was uh, all about rock and roll back then. Sure. Was, uh, what kind of rock and roll are we talking about? Like, who was big at that time? The bands that I... I mean, we went to LA. It was hair metal. Okay. And we were. Uh, I remember that time well. Yeah, yeah. We had hair, but uh, we didn't play that kind of metal. So we were kind of an extreme heavy metal speed uh, demons from uh, Rome. And uh, we didn't have pop songs. We didn't have hooks. We didn't have uh, oh, okay. uh, makeup on. We just had long hair and uh, a crazy look. And uh, well, we, What was the clothing apparel like at that time? <laughs> Well, we were uh, spreading flyers on the Sunset Strip back in uh, 1987. Uh, wow. Sharing the, the sidewalk with Warrant, with Guns N' Roses. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they were like, we were like struggling bands. I mean, do, do you have any good Axel stories? Uh, Axel, no, no. They were already filling up uh, clubs. Like stadiums and stuff. Yeah. Clubs, at least. We were uh, struggling to get 10 people to come to see our shows, yeah. And so we, I mean, there was like, you know, the crazy hairs guys at air extensions, uh, they right. had uh, waves. And, uh, I was thinking about doing that look like today. Do you think? Yeah, I, my, if, I, if I had hair, I would probably still have long <laughs> hair now. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to say so. So but. was it like lost in translation, like warranted cherry pie and, and you guys tried to do like quinoa pie and, it, and like no one understood what fruit you were talking about? No one understood. We were right into complete uh, indifference mm -hmm. and uh, not that we're uh, anybody in Italy, but at least we had a following. We had uh, people that listened to us, people that cared about us. We were... One of a million bands in Los Angeles, sure. and uh, it didn't really work. And it, 
So that, that was uh, LA. So I, I lasted uh, with the band. Maybe no, they, they kicked me out six months after we arrived. Okay. Yeah, for um, internal stra- uh, stra- struggles. So it's like the wine business, <laughs> pretty much. It's very volatile, and uh, yeah. And from then on, uh, my my trajectory in this country started. I mean, I. I didn't want to go back to Italy sure. as much as I, I'm, I'm from Rome. I'm from Rome. I left uh, in 87. So I just finished school. What was the climate like that at that time? Like socially? Rome. Rome yeah. was, a, was a mess. Rome was a city that, uh, in spite of its uh, beauty and, uh, oh, inspiring, uh, streets and churches, it was, uh, for me, very, was a downer of a city. It was a, a city that stifled your energy, your willpower, your desire to do things. I was, uh, I went to art school, Academy of Fine Arts. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to, to be a painter. I wanted to be a musician and, uh, just, uh, you walk and you feel this, this weight on your shoulder that, uh, stops you drags you down it kind of makes you halts you in your steps so you feel like there's no chance no hope no not even a glimpse of uh of potential ahead so let's i was playing with this band and we decided no we first tried europe we tried germany we we went holland and blah 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 then we said let's let's just leave europe and go to to, to the States. And we were completely ignorant because we, we moved to LA. We didn't know that Hollywood was in LA. So we were like in the dark. We just wanted to get the hell out of uh, Rome because we were so unhappy there. What do you think the situation likes in Rome today? I, I was speaking to a young producer and her, her family is quite wealthy, mm-hmm. quite successful. Mm-hmm. They sell wine globally. Mm-hmm. And she said that her grandfather had told her that he hadn't seen an Italy that made him so worried since the rise of fascism. Well, it doesn't uh, doesn't look too good. I mean, when I go back to Rome, I I don't feel very very happy. I mean, the the same cloud that followed me twenty five years ago now it's uh, heavier and darker and uh, more pregnant with uh, potential uh, lightnings and thunder. So it's like doesn't doesn't feel good that people are nervous, people are unhappy. Rome is always on the on edge. You know, there's like I find New York to be surprisingly enough much more. Um, well disposed. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're the only yeah. person that would say that. I, really? mean. I mean, usually, you know. Yeah, yeah. Someone like myself from the West Coast is always looking at it a little differently than that. Right, right. But no, Rome is, I mean, everybody always ready to pick up a fight, uh, mm-hmm. on, whether you're on the bus, whether you're crossing so you, the street. You lived the bicycle thief like story, <laughs> except it was the guitar thief. Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, Rome now doesn't feel good, very good. I. Usually go there for a few days and I'm very happy to leave. I mean, my mom is still there. My brother is there. So all my friends are still unhappy. Still, they still say, ah, oh, you, you did the right thing to leave. Uh, really? They say this that. Place. I mean, yeah, it's, it's beautiful to walk around to, to experience as a tourist, but to, to live as a denizen, to experience as a, and as a denizen is a <laughs> difficult. Very difficult. There does seem to often be uh, a certain amount of pessimism. Pessimism, pessimism is uh, rampant. Yeah. Yeah. A sense of uh, hopelessness. And also, Romans are famous for menefregismo. I don't give a damnism. So oh, really? This kind of like indifference towards kind of, anything. Huh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> you got to teach me how to lay that one out. Menefrego. Menefregismo. Yeah. yeah, it's kind well, of. That like, should have been the name of the band. See, it that's, been. you know, that was the, the tipping point right there. It should have been, yeah. So you found yourself in LA. You, you weren't in the band anymore. Yeah. What happened next? 
decided to go to Alaska for a few months. Oh, okay. Six months. What the heck? Let's go. And, uh, were you just like spinning a globe at this point? Was that like, <laughs> like you're just like, where does the finger land? No, it was in a survival mode because like I was uh, living uh, in a tool house in the backyard of somebody, some old Italian lady in uh, San Gabriel, Nevada, in San Fernando Valley and San Bernardino Valley. And, uh, so I was like, anything to survive, anything to not to go back. So I was like, this friend of mine, this acquaintance was going to Alaska for the salmon season. Oh, okay. And I went and, uh, it was actually, a an injection of, uh, positive, uh, energy. I met a lot of nice people. I, I worked very hard, but, uh, came back with some money because I had very little money left when I was kicked out of the band. And I, so I came back and I started playing music with other bands, American bands, for two two years, two three years, and then uh, the opportunity came and I moved to New York. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, back then playing music was um, a joy, but I also paint. I also um, I was a painter. You know? Okay, that's right. So painting was uh, pieces. <laughs> painting was a much more. Um, intimate expression of your inner self of sure. your art with the band you are like part of a of a combo of a group sure. so yeah. your your input is limited to the economy of the band no when you are in front of a canvas it's you and a blank canvas so it's very much up to what your mind uh, decides and uh, what your inspiration where does it take you so i would decided to pursue more the the arts and uh, Moved to New York because I thought yeah, there's more galleries there. Sure, sure. Uh, no, well, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's what I did. And uh, so, what year was that? Like well, maybe ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, so it was three three years in California. That'd be an interesting time for the art scene in New York. The the city was different, different city as we all know. It was a, kind of a, a fascinating place, and I was charmed at once and uh, started showing group shows here and there, blah blah blah. And of course, as a as a struggling artist, I had to make a living, so I started working as a waiter in uh, restaurants, as clueless as I was, as I was with uh, service and uh, food. And it doesn't get better, by the way. <laughs> like the cluelessness <laughs> never really goes away. I can tell you, I think so. after a long career. Yeah, yeah. So and, and uh, so I started doing both. You know, I kept playing music with uh, many bands in New York, and I did some shows and sold some paintings, uh, and then. Uh, the moment came in which somebody told me, why don't you try to, to sell some wine? And yeah. This, yeah. This, I was working as a waiter, and I don't remember where, somewhere downtown, maybe Arqua. So I, I thought, frankly, I my interest in wine was uh, developing because in restaurants I started opening nice bottles and started like exposing myself to different stuff. So it was more like in New York that the wine side came yeah, through? Completely. It wasn't so much on the Rome side? No, on the Rome side, I grew up drinking... Uh, Frascati no vintage uh -huh, sure. from a jug that the uh, farmer brought to our house. Uh, well, at least you know it's not a fake. You know, it's not I mean, a fake. <laughs> it was like, there's no, no chance it's a forgery, you know? No, that wasn't. But I'm sure it was probably not quite uh, the drink of choice of today. But uh, we, we bought these 10 liters. We left them on the balcony exposed to... The weather is really? the sun, and every wow. day we filled up a carafe and we brought it to the table. So that was our cellar, the balcony in Rome in the summertime. Wow. So definitely no, I don't think I ever opened a bottle with a label or with the vintage on it when I was in it. It was just not part of our daily culture. It was always white wine from the hills outside of Rome. 
Really? That's what and what, what were you eating with that? Just curious. Like, it didn't matter. It was, uh, didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. I mean, Rome, you always drink white. 99% of people drink true? white. Yeah. yeah. It's a white, uh, wine, uh, Is that because of the artichokes and stuff? It's I mean, because of they... the heat, because of the, uh, the lifestyle people kind of like lazy about and, uh, there's a pace of slowness and the, the wine is a refreshment most of the time. Got it. Rather than a, a drink of intellectual pleasure. Yeah, so. The white wine is uh, very much part of the culture. So it's almost like you had to move to, to New York to kind of get the glimpse of the high-end wine scene in Italy. In oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I learned more about Italy and the wines and the, the regions after I came to America than, than when I was there. Because when I was in Italy, my vacations were like, let's go to England, let's go to Holland. Uh, but I didn't think, right, let's right. go to Piemonte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, the Tuscan yeah, cruise yeah. didn't come up. Because, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you're from Italy. You must know so much about wine. You know, but you would seem to be indicating that that's not the normal. No, me and my friends, I mean, to this day, I mean, I go to Italy and I sometimes I invite people over. and uh, Yeah. And they bring a bottle, and it's like uh, discount uh, supermarkets uh, two two ninety nine, mm-hmm. and they're quite proud of it. Yeah, so instead yeah. of one ninety nine, it's actually two ninety nine. Must be good. Well, so, yeah. I was amazed when I went over there recently, like just what you would see for thirteen euros on the oh, shelf yeah. Yeah. that here might sell for like eighty five dollars on a wine list. You know, it's just a little surprising sometimes. It's, it's, it's You're like, whoa, this is like. Like the equivalent of like a Rite Aid supermarket, like totally yeah. not a nice supermarket. <laughs> and you would roll in and there would be, you know, Barolo, but then also things that were, you know, kind of expensive over yeah, here. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. know, it'd be nothing. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. The, the costs of uh, importation and this. I blame you, I mean, you know, basically. It's a, it's a kingpin of, of wine sales. I'm one mm-hmm. of the culprits. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what was your first job specifically with wine? With wine was, um, I, I, I jumped into a sales uh, rep job with uh, Vinifera Imports. Okay. And, you know, they've been importing a lot of yeah. what are now really seen as classic Yeah, back then, uh, very, yeah, strong portfolios, like 1996 or seven when I started. How many Italian importers were there in New York at no, that time? Very different scene. Yeah. It was just... Uh, him and uh, maybe three or four more. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. In all of the New York area. Yeah, it was a very... When do you think that really changed? When did we see the skyrocket in Italian wine consumption in New York? Early 2000, I think. Yeah. 2003, four, and, and onwards, yeah. The, just the breadth and variety of uh, Italian wines that has come to this market in the last six, seven years has been... Uh, Amazing. Yeah. yeah, you're not somebody who just brings in Chianti and Parolo. You're bringing in, you know, Malvasia. You're bringing right, in right. Ruque. I mean, uh, you know, these things are not uh, the big arustrata of the wine world. No, and to bring those things uh, back uh, in the 90s would have been kind of unthinkable. At right. Least it would have been kind of like, Why, What changed? I changed that. Uh, I mean, uh, the, I think the, the food was the same. In the mm-hmm. 90s, I mean, we went to an Italian restaurant. It was uh, spaghetti with meatballs and uh, ecto and parmigiana. Blah, 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 the usual staples that people thought this is Italian and yeah. I'm going to stick to this. And then the, the new generation of Italian uh, immigrants, I guess, came and uh, brought uh, the knowledge, their enthusiasm, their, their desire to to show that uh, Italy has more than uh, the very basics. You know? So it was kind of like by changing the playbook on the food side, people were more open to changing the playbook on the wine side, do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think it came uh, went uh, hand in hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The developing the sophistication of Italian cuisine in restaurants with the sophistication of the wine lists, 
within the city. Yeah. So you must have worked with a fair amount of the you know more known Italian restaurants at that time. Working for Vendem for one of the biggest. You know, yeah. they had some major players. I mean, what was your technique to find <laughs> restaurants? Well, I was. Uh, I mean, I went to the interview with uh, my boss Dominic and. Uh, I told them I never sold anything in my life. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah. yeah. I'm not a salesperson. That guy always gets hired. I don't know. If I could give one piece of advice to sommeliers and the, the guy who says, like, I don't know anything, that guy always gets hired. Take it from a guy who doesn't say that. Yeah, but somehow he, he preferred to, to hire people that were not old uh, foxes in the business because they're too jaded, uh, too sure. cynical, too yeah. cold and distant. So you want somebody young and uh, enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. He, show, he saw that I had some passion, and uh, he, he told me, Jan, uh, when I start, start tomorrow. Here's the Yellow Pages of Brooklyn. Look at the rest he, of he, I'm sorry. He gave you the Yellow Pages? Yeah, that's uh, the training. That's an account <laughs> book that I got. <laughs> that was, the that was, the, that, that was the, the session, the that's, training yeah, session? Training session. This Open is your account to base. page 256. Yeah. Yeah. On this page, you'll find listings for restaurants, yeah, and yeah. you just sort of cold cold. Yeah, it, it gave me a list of uh, accounts that, that belonged to the previous Brooklyn guy, and 90% were defunct. They were like no, really? no longer existing. So I was like, I started like you know, roaming around the streets, call calling. Did it and help I, that you uh, were Italian? I mean, did, I don't know. I don't, I don't you know. don't think so? I don't think so. At the end, uh, no, because no. no, that I can't uh, tell whether it makes a difference or not to these days. And how long did you stay with that gig? Well, it's a long time because I mean, I was, um, I started in 96 and at the same time I, I started to, to go to school because I wanted to um, still pursue the arts, you know, because I, I thought as a painter, I never succeeded. So let's try a career as a curator. Okay. So I went to, um, to city college in Harlem and, uh, I did, uh, took a master's degree in, uh, Museum studies. Uh, while yeah. I was working with Vinif. Sure. In the morning, I used to take a train from, uh, I used to live in Bed-Stuy back then to Harlem take classes and then in the afternoon uh, do my pilgrimage uh, to um, Italian restaurants or whatever restaurants that were willing to listen to my pledge. So, yeah. I mean, what was the technique? I mean, what would you tell to these people that need to like get in as a salesman to account that doesn't want to see them? What do you do? To this day, uh, I don't have a technique. I don't have a winning formula. No, it's just, I don't know. I mean, frankly, I have no... No advice to, to give to a sales guy. I mean, it's, I mean, it boils down is to it um, the wines or is it showing no, up or I, I is think, it? Yeah, I think the wines are uh, a minimal, minimal part, part of, of the, the equation. equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think somehow it's about uh, this, uh, this uh, connection that either happens or doesn't happen. Got it. Within the first five minutes, usually, you know, mm -hmm. like an exchange of uh, handshakes or uh, eye contact, whatever it is, but. Sometimes it's, um, you know, what's happening or not. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, it's very deceiving because sometimes you feel like a great connection and then uh, right, 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 <laughs> ends right. up being like a fluke. Well, so, I actually learned to do that after a while. Really? I, yeah. The people you didn't want to talk to, you just kept telling a ton of jokes, you know, because right. then they wouldn't ask you a real question. Like, do you want to buy this? You know what I mean? If you were just like, yeah. And then she said, da, da, da. <laughs> you know, it would never get around to serious business. Like how many cases do you want? You know? So no, huh? that, that became my technique was to just kind of diverge, you know? Uh, yeah. Turn on the lights and here's the show. Hey, because, <laughs> you know, you just didn't want to you didn't want to tell people, no, I don't want any of this at all ever because they would get upset, you so, know, so you would just tell them a bunch of jokes. So now I understand why you were so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, still to this yeah, day, the way of dismissing me was a good <laughs> joke. I, I bought a fair amount of wine for me, sir.
Uh, I, I take offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but okay. So no technique, no no, technique. no manual to to follow. Just uh, I guess show that uh, you care about uh, the wines that you sell and uh, you are uh, passionate about uh, the business and uh, not the salesmanship, but the wines. Mm-hmm. If the wines are good and you're not uh, a phony, a fake, or uh, a jerk, chances are that eventually you're going to get some sales. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And do you feel like the relationships you build uh, tend to be fairly long-term? Like, do people stick around in the buying gigs for a while, or do they just sort of disappear one day and there's a new guy? I mean, you know, it's a very volatile world, uh, the wine world and uh, the restaurant world. So um, it's an ever-changing, ever-revolving door. So... But in in uh, all in all, uh, I must say that I I worked for Vinifera for eight years now, and uh, and then I started my own thing maybe five years ago. Yeah. And if I didn't have those eight years of uh, paying my dues, paving the streets, uh, building relationships, I think I would have uh, struggled uh, much uh, longer, much harder with my own business five years ago. I, I still feel like uh, I do, of course. I mean, I don't know. Like months like summertime, like July and August, you feel like, man, nobody wants to see me. Nobody wants to make right. an appointment. So it's like, a, it's, a, it's, you start afresh and new every day. You never rest on your laurels. You, you have a few f- friends, accounts that you can rely upon, but you know that this person can leave within uh, 24 hours and the account from top account becomes zero account. So. Mm-hmm. You can't really... So, it, I mean, really, the relationship is with the buyer. The buyer is not always the owner. And right. this guy can just, you know, get fired. He can quit. Yeah, yeah, he can know, yeah. disappear. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, you as the guy who was maybe holding 20 cases for that guy because he knew he really liked it, you're kind of left holding the bag. Are you stuck? Because the next guy that uh, takes a position might be friends with other companies. Sure. And, uh, and he wants favorites. to, like, right, so, you know, show how he's different than the last exactly, guy, like make exactly. his own mark. So he's, like, shunning all the guys that he was close right. with in the past. Medium. Yeah. So there's a... If you think if you think about it as a, as a too much as a you know salary rented thing is anxiety ridden. Yeah. If you do it with a, a flair of uh, I don't know of uh, not I don't want to say like flag flag phlegmatism. You, know? mm-hmm. you have to be like phlegmatic about it. Yeah. Yeah. Accept uh, victories and defeats, and they come usually. Within short, uh, yeah, you're shot on the, the same day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the same messenger. Exactly. So you started your own business five years ago. Five years ago, yeah. And, yeah. and what was that like? I mean, how's that go about? It was, um, I mean, I, I quit Benifera very amicably. Seems like it. Yeah. Seems like you guys yeah. maintained the... We maintained because, I mean, it, it taught me a lot. I mean, I was exposed to great wines and it was, like, for me, a perfect job. And people say eight years with Vinifera are 25 years with any other company because mm-hmm. it, it takes... A certain stone. kind yeah. of stickering. But, yeah. I mean, what I've noticed, one thing that you didn't do was, like, take a bunch of things from the Vinifera portfolio and then, like, make them your own, no, you know? Like, a, you didn't no. you didn't cannibalize. I make a point of it. I mean, there's too many wineries out there to to add to your portfolio. And uh, I like uh, discoveries. I like uh, the fun of my job is to go to Italy and find something that wasn't uh, heard of before. It was something that wasn't doesn't have a name. No, so how does that go down? You arrive in the airport, and then what happens? Well, when I, so six years ago, I mean, I, um, I left Vinifera. I took a sabbatical. I went to 
travel the world thinking I'm going to move somewhere else, enough of New York. Yeah, that's right. You were yeah. like in India for a while. Yeah, I was in Asia, India for a few months, uh, and then the rest of Asia thinking maybe I'll uh, start a business in Bangkok, maybe sure. I'll start a business in... Uh, in New Delhi, and then uh, obviously you always uh, come back to New York with uh, your tail in between your legs, and like after all, it's it's a good place to be, you know. So you're enthusiastic about Bangkok for two weeks, and then after three weeks, you say, "But do I really want to come and live in Bangkok?" Right. What am I gonna do after two months? I mean, the excitement is always uh, right. fun and uh, and lively at first, but then you hit with the fact of like, is Bangkok really my you? <laughs> Adoptive yeah. land, not really. So I came back to New York and uh, started interviewing with other companies. At, Got uh, it. Thinking, I guess I'm gonna go back to the wine world. And I and I thought, let's do something that uh, I know I won't quit after two or three years because eventually, when you work with somebody else, you're gonna end up being unhappy for one reason or the other. Sure. With Vinifera, I was unhappy because it became too routine. Mm-hmm. The money was good. Well, I think that's a good time, good time to leave. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. It's like, let's leave now. You've got it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started, uh, thinking, hmm, let's do something. And, uh, being the independent minded person that I am, I didn't want to rely upon uh, any investors, uh, any loans or anything. So I started really small, really. I decided let's pick up a couple of producers and, uh, try to bring them in. So I, June 2006, I went to Italy for three months, two, three months, and I traveled miles and miles, visited uh, hundreds of producers, and I think I came back with five producers, mm-hmm. the beginning of my business. and uh, who, who, who are those? It was Flavio Roddolo, this mm-hmm. guy in Piemonte. Which I, I personally think is one of the real superstars in your portfolio. Like, I mean, he would never want to be called a superstar himself, <laughs> but I, I think the quality level is so high. For yeah. those he's, uh, he's my Pride and joy, my kind of daily inspiration, because it's like wine as I see it, in very genuine, very uh, against the star system, against uh, labels. I mean, it's like so. I, so it wasn't like you read about it in a magazine where it said like a thousand points, and no. then you went to go meet him. No, it was more like it was complete happenstance because I had an appointment with um, a dolcetto producer from Dogliani. Got it. She came to pick me up at the hotel where I was staying in Barolo. And uh, she told me, Jan, before we go to see my winery, I want you to meet this guy. Really? <laughs> so she's the one who brought me to him. I didn't even know his wow. existence. Yeah. So we went there because she told me he's my kind of my mentor, my inspiration in the wine mm-hmm. world. So we went there. We spent a couple of hours of silence, basically. With really? Mr. Roddolo. It was very... Not He's not exactly Johnny Carson, is he? No, he's not entertaining. He's not... Uh, he's not uh, talkative unless he really knows you so it, it took a while it, it, it was a, a very a meeting of uh, like trying to learn from each other without uh, really talking kind of like let's look at each other study each other without so it was nice then we went to i went to to, to see this woman uh seller and uh, ended up not picking her wines. And, Boy, yeah. that, that, that sounds kind of like you're a jerk, actually. Yeah, she, she, a little bit. she didn't talk to me for two, three years. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see that. I don't know why, because she, yeah. she's the one who was actually <laughs> thought, told me you should meet this guy first. Right. Maybe yeah. maybe her career as a broker is yet to come. You know? yeah, yeah, but she's now in, in New York, thankfully. Oh, good. Yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, and so, her wines are excellent. But, and uh, ends well. That's and ends well. Yeah, and ends well. So, 
Yeah, so so a lot of the producers that I picked up were just by pure happenstance. I mean, I, I'm a Rone producer. I spent uh, three days in the Valpolicella being disgusted, basically, by what I saw, what I, who I met. Uh, I met a lot of producers that told me, ah, we already imported in New York, but if you want, we make uh, a special label for you. Oh, really? Would you like uh, the wine to be on the sweet side, on the drier side? Oh, really? Darker, so like, lighter? <laughs> like, it was like some sort of order form at, yeah, at like, a Chinese restaurant or something. Like, just tick the boxes that you want. Very, very off-putting, yeah. The yeah. wine world has a... Uh, Sheer business, pure business, nothing else. So, did you get a chance to screw with them a little bit? Were you like, well, I want it super dry, but also really sweet. Can you make that happen for me? Or no, you didn't. No, because back then I, you just I, got out of there. Right. I mean, I, I didn't even know what to expect, and from people, from producers. So it was like it was a learning experience. I never dealt, I never negotiated prices or wines. But the fact that they actually told me, yeah, we'll make it as you want it. So it was like, okay. I've, I've actually go. never heard of that yeah. outside of like supermarket buyers, <laughs> like people buying for like private labels for a supermarket. No, those were reputable producers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Imported well, the States. Reputable to some. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then uh, at the end of the day, one of the days we ended up uh, in this cellar recommended by another producer and uh, actually it was a, a small epiphany. Thankfully, sometimes they happen. Yeah, usually you end up going to the back to your pensione, kind of beat and defeated. Uh, sometimes you uh, you end up uh, going to bed with a smile, thinking mm, maybe I found something. And so, some, so basically, uh, I, I did my research. I studied a bit. I read, uh, but it was traveling and asking, and, being in the room, yeah, yeah, being in the yeah, and uh, and improvising. I ask. Uh, I went to like the same. You know, Came the lung and ask, "What do you think is good?" And boom, boom, boom. I still do that. I mean, it, yeah. it's usually through recommendations, word of mouth, that I find my newest um, additions to the portfolio. I remember that's what exactly what Carmel Lynch said. That yeah. exact thing, like going to the cafe and being like, "What do you guys think is good around here?" And like that. That was how I got started. Uh, so it continues this way, even more so now because I don't have uh, urgency to build my portfolio. No, really? No. I, you feel like you have enough wine for what the market can bear at this time and the size of your company? Easy. Basically, it's more about the size that I am mm -hmm. and uh, the, what the market can bear. I mean, like, basically, I'm by myself in the streets. Right. And, uh, so I can only fill up my bag with so many samples when I go out to see, to see my appointments and. But you've I, had salesmen before. They came, they came and they went. Like, yeah. It's, it's classic. Now there's a, a new woman that started with me two months ago. My last salesperson opened a wine shop in the Gowanus. That's right. Yeah. He worked with me two years. It was very, very good. So, but basically I can only rely upon uh, myself, mm -hmm. bottom line. So, and I know that I, if I grow too much, I'm, I'm going to, Put some of the wines that I import in a, in a back burner, like, right. you know, like, you know, like um, I like it, but today I'll bring this other one out. So sure. I don't want to have that happening too often. I want to be feeling like every wine that I have is my little child, my little mongrel child. What have you been uh, excited about lately amongst your children? Well, maybe this guy, another Piedmontese guy, yeah, another Piedmontese guy that uh, I found while I was with Rodolo in uh, April. Yeah. April and um, he's in the mountains bordering France. Okay, uh, they call it heroic winemaking because it's so steep sure. to, to build one of those like machines that uh, carry the grape up and down. And 
they have one hectare and they make, uh, it took me two months to memorize the, the, the grapes because I never heard of them before. Really? Chateaus, Bequet, Havana, Avarengo. It's all these things. And what the heck? And a nice stainless steel. It's a nice family. And it kind of it was an immediate uh, kinship, an immediate uh, feeling of like, oh, this is nice. This can, let's hope that the wine is good because I immediately I feel like I want to work with these people. Do you yeah. find that you're, Tending to gravitate towards wineries of a certain size in the same way that you're trying to keep your company about a certain size, or is yeah. it freeform? I mean, I'm uh, trying to be realistic. No, I mean, yeah. I can't ever uh, generate the volume or of sales that would make a bigger winery happy. You know? So instead sure. of creating uh, grudges and uh, feeling of uh, neglect. Uh, in a year or two down the line, I'd rather not start at all with this kind of uh, wineries. And usually the wines that uh, I like, uh, as, as far as taste goes, are uh, not necessarily, but oftentimes made by smaller guys. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a combination of things. I don't want to pick up a burden on my shoulders. I feel like, oh my God, the pressure, I have to sell these wines, otherwise these guys are going to be unhappy. I don't want that. I mean, I started my own business to have no pressure of the sorts. Right. So I want to have people that if I buy whatever I buy, they're going to be satisfied enough not to tell me, so what about the next order? Is he coming? No, I don't want that. Thank you. But I can't handle it. <laughs> also, I'm not good because, I mean, if I if I pressure, I'm, I'm not good. Since I'm not a salesperson, I, right. I can't go to, to you, to Levin, and say, Levin, can, can you please? Uh, yeah, can't crank up the formula if there's no formula. Right. No. Uh, can you no. please deplete my inventory because... Uh, right, right. Uh, guys, yeah, uh, my whole thing's on the line with yeah. the relationship and uh, it's not he's going to take away the, right. the thing and then I'm not going to have all the cases. And, it's not how I sell wine. I sell wine, I mean, you know, if people love them and they buy them, and the transaction it's complete there. I mean, like you know, you know, what buyers are sometimes. What are you gonna do for me if I buy the wine? I say, what do you mean? It's like the transaction is complete. I sell the wine to you, I make a profit. You sell the wine to the customers, you make a profit. It's who not, who yeah. says that to you? Is that more of a retail question or is that a restaurant question? Restaurant, especially old school. Really? Old school guys. What are you going to do with me? Really? Yeah. <laughs> huh. I've never thought to ask that. I wonder if I've missed out on a lot of things that could be done for me. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be on cruises and uh, on uh, best seats and uh, Yankees. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, See, probably. I don't even like sports. And, uh, I get seasick. Hey, so you've stuck with Italy. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to expand. Yeah. So, I mean, even with the sense that, you know, there's a bit of pessimism in Italy, there's this euro crisis. I mean, how does that affect you? Like the crisis over the year, do you worry about currency fluctuation, getting no. stuck with a bunch of stock and um, at the wrong price? No, no, I'm, uh, actually now we're, we're, with the euro crisis, all us importers are actually rejoicing. You're like doing great now. You're like, yes. For, for four years, we paid uh, right. 160, 150 for the euro to the dollars. Like, man. Now, finally, we can breathe a little bit. So, and frankly, the wine world somehow it's um, um, safe from uh, this deep crisis to some extent. Especially the small guys that I deal with. You know, really? Somehow they you don't hear that comment. No, I mean, like uh, the small guys, they have their own uh, clientele. They have their own circuits of buyer of people that buy from them, mainly from the sellers directly. So they they deplete their inventory. The biggest companies, I think, they have the most uh, pressure, the most uh, worries, because they have uh, millions of cases to get rid of, and uh, I'm sure they're uh, suffering. They're, they're closing out, you know, how it, sure. how it works. Yeah. So, I mean, the wine world somehow is 
the the one that I live. It's florid, and as far as uh, where, as far as uh, people, there's there's a positive attitude because they make not much wine, and the wine is good, and it gets old. So, I mean, this may seem like a a dumb question, but what is a good wine? I mean, when you sit down with one wine versus a wine that you didn't pick, what yeah. is it that you're looking for? My my taste is very eclectic. I would say I mean, I'm not. I don't have any canon any parameters that i so it could be anything and, be and anything. it seems like you have picked up some things that are you know fairly obscure great variety and yeah, uh, I mean, like you spoke about yeah i don't uh i'm not canonic i'm not uh, in any sense dogmatic because uh, for me growing up with jug wine in rome for me wine is in a an accompaniment to to daily life it's not the center stage of your life i want to open a bottle and not talk about the bottle of wine through the course of dinner. That's want, an interesting point. Yeah. So want, you're not looking for no it to take over. No, I don't want the showstopper. I want something that goes with my food, goes with my dinner, that makes people happy around the table. And, and it seems like some of the, well, most of the pricing for your wines is in line with that. Like you're not putting anyone out to, you um, know, for a second mortgage to get the, some of the bottles that you bring in. Right, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even the expensive ones. I mean, uh, I I believe that sometimes it's good to open an expensive bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And so there's always an occasion. occasion. Yeah, but uh, on a daily basis, I believe in uh, wine to be a vernacular affair, a pedestrian affair, an improvement of your life, not uh, the vehicle of your life to be improved by a bond. So, you know, a lot of times you hear different perspectives from importers. Sometimes people are like, you know, it's all about the grower and I'm just a conduit and you shouldn't even pay attention to me. Don't look at me. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. I'm just the importer. And then other importers are like, hey, I'm here, big personality, and I'm I'm selling this stuff and you should go along with me. This is me. This is my show. Um, You know, what do you think? I mean, where do you fall into that spectrum? I I believe, I mean, uh, that uh, the importer is a secondary figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But without the importer, the wine would never get here. So, right. I'm not drinking road low without your help. Right. Because not a lot of people are going to sit for two hours silently without talking to them to get the the commission for the wine. (laughs) Like, that takes a special kind of dude. Exactly. So, the. The role of the importer is, uh, is a behind-the-scene kind of guy, but uh, with a, a presence on the market which is uh, felt but not overwhelming. That's mm-hmm. how I, I see it. The importer as a vehicle, as a as a man who makes uh, the thing happen, but that's it. I don't want uh, I don't want uh, the star importer. I don't want to hear about uh, trends and that. It's like that goes beyond what I see the wine world uh, to be. You know. So you're not looking for the to be on the next big superstar like trend, you know? Because I mean, they do come along, you know. Yeah, all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, everybody's yeah. pouring this by the glass, or true, everyone's yeah. doing that, you know? Mm, no, no, it's not a concern. You're not no. thinking at home like, hey, what's going to be the next thing? Maybe I should bring some more of that in. Oh, I mean, of course, success uh, is is always welcome. No, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you're you not wanna, turning it away. Yeah, you want to sell the wines that you bring in. You want to make sure that people buy them and enjoy them and. Um, order them again so it's i'm not saying i want to like sit on my inventory because i'm so proud to have it doesn't i don't care if people drink it or not no i want uh, the wine to be a, a cycle to to be brought here and drunk and enjoyed and uh, and i know I, I don't look to to 
to become uh, the next star, no, obviously, no. I, I have very uh, little uh, desire for uh, becoming huge. I don't know how I would, how I would handle it. I mean, for now, now it's, I'm already overwhelmed sometimes by the, the load of work that I have, and I'm not very good at um, delegating. So more work, more success, more sales would become uh, taxing. So here you've been at it for about five years. Is that long enough where you've started to see generational change? Have you seen mm. a son take over from a father? Have you encountered that yet at the winery side? No, no, not yet. The only the only one worried about is Rodolo, who doesn't have uh, any family, any nephews, nieces, uh, cousins or anything. So he's like, what am I going to do? Yeah, what happens when that happens? Yeah. I mean, if yeah. he were to pass, what uh, what then goes on? That's the thing. These uh, beautiful vineyards are going to be fought by his, uh, whatever, his, the remainders of his family that don't talk to each other because Piemonte is all about that. They don't, they family feuds left and right. Is that true? Ooh, they, they don't, most families don't talk to each other. Same last name, but uh, they don't want to deal with each other on a daily basis. So, yeah, Rodor will be the only case in which, like, what's going to happen? But the other winers are pretty young guys, mainly young guys. I, I, I'd like to... To work with uh, a young generation, usually come from, they come from you know gr- grandparents uh, planting vines, and now they're the guys making changes in the regime of uh, the vineyards and the wine making techniques. So, I, is it common for them to say, "Hey, what's the feedback?" Or is it common for them to say, "This is what I'm doing, and you can order it or not"? Uh, with some of them, there's a very close. Uh, relationship they're very eager to know what's going on the reaction especially the ones that are completely unknown that they're, they're i just got a new wine from uh, romagna i mean and uh it's okay. great. yeah centesimino grape is a red grape, red varietal grown by like seven people maybe in the hills of romagna so it's like uh, let's see what happens to the centesimino in new york what the mm-hmm. heck uh, what's the reaction is going to be so he's like very eager he was already here for a few days we we scoot around the city tasting wine. So it was like, it's kind of nice. It kind of, it's infectious. Uh, the enthusiasm of this guy kind of makes me want to continue in this path in uh, finding unusual things, finding uh, off the beaten path. I don't have a Brunello in my portfolio. I don't right. care to have a Brunello. I'm, but you do have a Brunello, so I guess it's worth asking. I mean, are you finding that some buyers at the restaurant level are super drawn to the more obscure, um, like grape varieties that have never been heard of, Mm -hmm. or do they also buy the Barolo or are people who buy the Barolo not buying the ones that are obscure or is it a mix? What's happening at the restaurant level? It's a, it's a mix. I would say that um, a lot of my customers say, Jan, when are you going to get a Brunello? They do ask you that. It's such a mainstay of Italian cuisine even today. And I tell them um, when I find uh, one that I love and they they tell me, don't don't worry about it. Oh yeah, yeah. If it sucks, we'll sell it. Yeah. Oh, I remember a guy who was on the import side saying to me one time, "Look, you gotta understand, Brunello's a brand name. It's a brand name. It sells." So, but I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily my viewpoint, but that is what that gentleman told me at that time. Right. And uh, and Brunello, frankly, I went there and how many times? I mean, kind of. If I set foot in Montalcino again, they're gonna shoot me because I mean, I go there, I visit 15 wineries and I left, I leave empty handed because yeah. somehow I don't really become fond of most of Brunello's that I taste. So yeah. there's a market that's drinking a lot of this wine. When you go, you find that you're not so drawn to it. I mean, what do you think that, um, 
maybe the people here don't know about Tuscany that might change their mind. I don't know. Tuscany, I'm, I'm pretty disillusioned about it as a region, as a whole. Yeah. So why would that be? Well, me as a, as a wine drinker, as a wine lover, uh, Tuscany, it's very business-like, very business-oriented, uh, suffered uh, from a huge identity crisis as far as like style, as far as what to put in that bottle. And mm-hmm. uh, I think they're still adjusting. Now they're all going back to like concrete and uh, Sangiovese. They're, they're all like uh, all of a sudden champions of Sangiovese and its purity and like, so it's kind of like bandwagon once again, following mm-hmm. and jumping on it. And I'm not that excited. All these guys that I meet, they, a lot of these wineries, the owners are not even there. They're mm-hmm. in Milan, they're in Rome, they're uh, lawyers or industrialists. And that's not really what I like to, to who I like to, to do business with, who I like to interact. I want to, I want somebody that has his hands uh, dirty with calluses and uh, dirt underneath his uh, nails. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are areas where you do find that? Ah, Piemonte is much more. That's why I like. I have a Barolo and I have a Brunello. I, I still, to this day, find Barolos that I enjoy drinking. Brunellos, uh, I have to make an effort to drink. I find that people are familiar with the term Barolo but don't know the landscape very well. Like right. if you said, hey, what's the difference between, uh, you know, uh, La Mora uh, and Verduno? A lot of right. times people are like, I don't know uh, even actually what you're saying, you know, yeah, in terms of Americans. No, yeah. Do you think that's true? And are there things about Piemonte that we should know about as consumers who do drink a lot of Barolo? Piemonte is a... It's a dark charm. I mean, Tuscany is a solar beauty, idyllic, pastoral, picture perfect. Uh, there's a, on the other hand, there's a darkness, there's a mystica, but, uh, but all region, the Lange, that, uh, it's worth exploring. It's worth, uh, delving into slowly and not just in two days, uh, visiting three wineries. It's nice to like get your own, uh, place for a week and just drive around and get lost and, uh, go in those small, down and Seralung and roam around the streets after dinner and with nobody in the streets. There's a, there's a kind of a silent, uh, dark charm to this region that is uh, absent in Tuscany. In Tuscany, it's completely different. It's much more jovial, much more tourist-ready. In Piemonte, there's a, there's a insularity, which is uh, fascinating. Do you think that's why some of the great... When, when you think about traditional winemaking... Some of the people who have stuck to it in Piemonte seem to be icons worldwide. Right, right. Like when you think of Bartolo yeah. or Giuseppe Mascarello, mm. you think of producers that like stuck to their guns and they're sort of like iconic for doing that. Right. Whereas, you know, the wine world's pretty big, you know, there's not so many regions that seem to spawn so many of these, right. well, I mean, by any measure, stubborn people. Right. You know, why yeah. is that? I don't know. Maybe the tradition of, uh, Farming that goes back to longer than the rest of Italy was um, being uh, maybe exposed to France. I think helped a lot in the trajectory of uh, the quality of of winemaking. Closing closer, closer, closer. closer, Also, like under the influence of uh, you know the Napoleonic invasions. Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. So there was always an exchange. The the Savoy family ruled Piemonte for. I don't know many decades. So there's, maybe there's, there was a, an exposure to, to wines uh, not as uh, purely substance like um, the rest of uh, rural Italy because wine was a, a, you know, a source of uh, energy and uh, calories uh, for most uh, Italians in their 
So Piemonte is one of your go-to spots, and Rodolo is one of your go-to guys. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit more about him? He's a grocer. That's why. I thought in Monforte I saw a store. That's his family. It's a, oh, it's okay. a large family. It's a large family. And uh, no, he's a, he's maybe 66, kind of a hermit type, mm-hmm. loner, lives by himself on this Bricquapiani hill, which is kind of a ideal perfect uh, hill in uh, Lange and you can see Dogliani you can see Monforte so it's a perfect uh, hermitage you know like you, you go there and you kind of remove yourself from uh, from the rest of uh, the chaos sometimes when I feel a bit disgusted or embittered by the wine world my daily grind I I say to myself let's just go and and decompress and I spend a few days with him and it's like wine as I as I really like wine uh, with with a, a simple approach wine with a low tech but genuine full of uh, traits of the person who makes them the imprint of uh, the maker is clear is, uh, is is palpable do you feel like that's something that's becoming more or less common in the bigger world of wine? I think the the new generation is is offers some promise. I think and, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of uh, young guys that uh, they're hands on. They want to intervene the least, but they want to work the hardest. They want they like to work the vineyards. They like to like use their tractors and use their hoe, and so it's nice to see that. Uh, there's a tendency to go the other way around to let's let's go back to being farmers because it it's rewarding to some extent you know back in the you know the eighties was everything was uh, mechanical harvesting was mechanical and now it's like a pride and joy of all these young way makers and we have everything by hand we do everything by hand we we let the, the grass grow in between the, the vines we 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 use uh, you know fava beans so vegetable to to, to fortify the plant. So there's a, a, a great new generation. There's hope in the wine world, I think, in the wine business. It's, you know, there's obviously there's a dichotomy between the, the great growers and the, the small growers, but that's the beauty of the wine, the beauty of the wine world. There's wines for everybody. There's no point in being uh, judgmental of either or. So what are some of the things on the importer side that could bring uh, people closer to that sense like what are if what i guess i'm asking you is what are things that could be different about the way the wine industry works on this coast that might help bring americans drinking wine a little closer to those people is there things that stand in the way of that whether it be legislative or legislation i don't know in the wine uh wine laws are so complicated that when i first started applying for my license my lawyer uh, Spent half an hour explaining how prohibitive the whole process is. Nuclear uh, material and wine and liquor have the same level of difficulty to import those two things. Imagine to the states, mm-hmm. wine is still there's a there's an image of negativity that's still um, it's very much apparent in the legislature of today's wine world, which is kind of like obsolete. It's kind of uh, Absurd, preposterous, but it's still the way we we do business. So there's a lot of headaches, but you know, you learn to to live with those. You learn to accept uh, the fact that uh, certain things you can or cannot do. And 
I think that mainly comes uh, the the changes will come from uh, the buyers. They're coming from the buyers. The, the, the way some buyers are are more excited about uh, discovering. Who yeah. are some of the people locally that you've been like, hey, that person seems to really have a head on their shoulders. <laughs> well, it's there's a bunch a bunch of uh, good uh, good customers, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, on a daily basis, you you find people that are uh, excited when I uh, when I bring a centesimino, and people that don't even want to hear about it. Okay. Yeah. So but, you do find a broad difference between those two oh, kinds of people. Huge, huge. Yeah, and usually the the person that buys uh, Brunello and Amarone, they don't even want to buy my Vespaiolo, or, mm-hmm. or which I, isn't super rare, but is rare. It's rare. I mean, it's like you know, five, six producers that make it, but so um, that's a. The young generation of American um, wine buyers is exciting. I think there's mm-hmm. a curiosity, there's a desire to branch out, to to discover, to to dare. Italian wine buyers are among the most boring, among among the most uh, traditional, conservative. Uh, like, oh, no, we don't want that. We're never going to be able to sell that. They laugh when I bring uh, some samples. <laughs> They're like, "What? <laughs> we can't really right. do anything." Uh, yeah. Sometimes I found that the Italian Buyers tend to be more concerned with packaging, like in the like even at the restaurant level, they'll be like, "Well, it's got an all black label or something." Like I, I've seen this happen a oh, couple yeah. times. Yeah, it's uh, sad but true. There's still uh, a big importance given to packaging and to the. I mean, I understand like, when I go to Milan, looking around, that you know these guys know something about packaging. Design, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, Italian buyers on the whole they're conservative. I mean, sometimes are uh, you find a. Uh, nice uh, open mind like the guy is a very traditional list like 10 brunellos and then each time i go there and say you want to try an impossible wine and he laughs you want to try an unsellable wine and he laughs and then he said yeah why don't you make a page for me i'll add it to the end of my of my list you call it unsellable wines yeah really <laughs> yeah. There, there's a place that there's has a, place. a, a page yeah. of unsellable my wines. wines three three red three red whites of my portfolio of grapes that he never heard of. He laughed at first and he put a page up unsellable wines. Are, are they selling? I'm just he said they're moving. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, put you it should up take a ago. picture of that. <laughs> that should be well known. It's nice. It's fun because I mean, it's like an, a traditional guy, traditionalist, very upscale Italian restaurant and, uh, and, uh, the list, uh, works. So if you could sum up what you're doing, I mean, in terms of just a few words, like what's, what's important and what's next? For mm-hmm. Yonde more. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I hope to be able to continue. I feel very lucky that I'm, uh, I'm still uh, standing. I mean, I, it's a wine world which is uh, saturated to the point of uh, of uh, explosion. You know, there's more and more companies coming up. Uh, there's uh, new guys, new wines, and the competition is fierce. The competition is uh, brutal, and uh, so I feel fortunate that I can uh, make a living with this and uh, and I make a point of going against the mainstream I'm not uh, I don't want to unless I get uh, a miraculous experience I'm not going to bring a Brunello I'd rather look for something that I go to a buyer and excites me in mm-hmm. uh, showing it to him look mm-hmm. at this and they say what the heck is that instead of like okay what a nice Brunello with a nice label let's try it for me so I'm um, I look in my direction is definitely go for the continuing the esoteric vein without uh, without being uh, canonical without uh, 
having to be biodynamic, uh, certified this. I mean, the, there's a few producers that I work with and, and they're certified. So it's not a producer that's all, every producer is a natural producer, not a producer where every producer is biodynamic. Because no. some, some companies no. on the import side do raise that flag and say, this is us, this is what we do, these kind of producers. But you're, no. it's more about something else than that for you. It's not about process. It, uh, at the end is uh, the, the wine that I taste. I mean, last time I went to look for the Centesimino, I went there twice. Uh, took long trips, I tasted every Centesimino produced in Romagna. And then I brought the last three into Rome with, with my, 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 you my could be the worldwide expert. Oh, by now, point. yeah. When I, when I talk to this producer now that I bring in, I tell him all the things that I know about Centesimino. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed. So uh, I, I brought those, the three bottles that I favored the most during my visits. I brought them to Rome and I tasted them blind. I, there was a one guy that I would have loved to bring. It's, Biodynamic farmer. He took us uh, to his um, sheep. He showed us showed us uh, the prize that he won uh, as the prettiest sheep in Romagna. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, one of one of his sheep was the prettiest. My sister uh, got that same award. Really? <laughs> yeah. Same one. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. For uh, the sheep her, that she had. For her. <laughs> yeah. I totally can. I don't even have a sister. Just yeah. lucky for me because she'd kick my ass if I did. <laughs> so the, the, the blind tasting went. Uh, I, I, I was hoping to like this wine, this right. guy, because I love the guy. I was right. like, this is perfect fit. But then, uh, what m was a decisive factor was taste. Mm -hmm. So, and I went for something that, uh, it's not biodynamic, not, uh, certified, but something that I feel, uh, a strong kinship to. So even the, the biodynamic producers that I have, I mean, Prodo is proto biodynamic is, has never intervened in any ways in the vineyards, or, but he doesn't even has it, have it on the bottle or doesn't even advertise it. He's, he's kind of shrugs and say, that's the way I make wine. I mean, I, I don't know of any other way. I don't, can't think of any other possibility of intervention. Sometimes I make fun and say, Rodolo, what's behind the door? Are you hiding the roto-fermenter back then? Right, right, right. And he say, no, no, they're hidden in better places. <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty know, funny. Yeah, they're going to find them. So, yeah, so I mean, with the producers that I have, by dynamic, they ask me, should we like go through the process and uh, get uh, labels approved with the biodynamic stamp? And I say, no, don't bother. I don't care. I don't care to have it on the bottle. I don't care to have it on the bottle because it was, it's, it's a stamp that for me is, is, is been, uh, is becoming abuse, is becoming, uh, kind of, is becoming a marketing ploy to some extent. And I don't, I don't want to deal with any marketing, any, scores or any things that help me sell wine. I want to have a, a crusade for each and every wine that I sell, that I bring in. It has to be a, a challenge, not uh, with any aids uh, by scores or little stamps of uh, beyond. So, yeah, I, I, one thing I happen to know about you because we've done it together before is that you're vegetarian. How does that interplay with the wine side and what you're doing? Well, it interplays in, uh, in as much as I drink white wines, 99% of my evenings. I, I enjoy them much more than reds. Red, with red wines, I have a more of a platonic relationship. I put them on a glass, I smell them, put them away, and then go back to them. And so there's a long foreplay that uh, usually en ends up, uh, oftentimes in, uh, not, uh, consummation. Not consummation. 
But I mean, how does that affect uh, the portfolio and your, portfolio. your kind of approach to what you're bringing in? I mean, when people ask you, hey, what do you think about this red wine? Are you like, well, it smells good? Or, I mean, no, what, what happens in real no, life? I'm still, just asking. I still have the, I hope, the, some capacity in assessing the quality of a wine. But uh, as far as uh, finishing a bottle of red, it's a struggle for me. I do hear a lot of people as they spend more and more time with the wine often say, you know, I drink more and more white. You know, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, because if it was up to me, my portfolio would be maybe 100% white wines. Do you find more embrace of Italian white wines? I mean, specifically with Italy and also to a large extent with Spain. I feel like for a long time, they weren't even considered wines. I know. But to you this know. day, to these days, I mean, people say, I, don't, I still haven't uh, tasted a good Italian white wine. Right. Say, no, come on. It can be, it can be true. You, you must have at some point. There's some good stuff in Italy being made. You know, I mean, you taste probably more than I do. So you're exposed to a lot of... Uh, I certainly agree that there's a lot of great white wines. Yeah. I think often they're in a flavor profile that's different from the normal kind of white burgundy spectrum. And so yeah, people yeah, yeah. aren't always evaluating them on their own terms. Yeah, well, there's such a breadth of styles and, and variety of, uh, Italian, of Italian grapes that uh, I think it's... Which is the, the, you know, the greatness the about Italy. Yeah, yeah the exactly. The, the, the dividing factor between Italy and the rest of the wine world. The, Do you find that those unique kind of flavor expressions can play really well with different vegetables? Are you experimenting in that way? Or is it more just about you want that kind of acidic nature? Acidic uh, uh, vegetables, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I kind of suck at pairing wine and food. I, oh, me too. It's, it's been my whole <laughs> life. So, <laughs> Oh, you must be good. Baby. I hope you're good at least. No, I kind of uh, improvise. I never, I never dwell on what's going to be good with this food. But, I, but I actually happen to know that you're a really good cook. So it's kind of funny that, that you'd say that because I've had pretty, pretty uh, good yeah. food at, from your creative hands. I enjoy cooking. I enjoy cooking with uh, basic stuff. I mean, I cook uh, pasta and, uh, Result. <laughs> but perhaps that's the food that those wines are intended to go with. Possibly, yeah. So, I mean, uh, Yande Moraes, someone who puts his name on his, his company and his heart in what he does. Thank you, sir. I really appreciated speaking with you, and uh, I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Levy. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.